Good morning, I'm Daniel, but one of the pastors here, and uh, as you know, we are kind of uh, coming down downhill a little bit from the excitement of Easter Sunday and the celebration of Christ's resurrection, and this morning we are still celebrating, but it's, it's a unique Sunday because already the challenge is before us, and all of you have heard the topic and the invitation to, uh, this morning to all of us is prayer. What is God telling us about prayer and how do we, how do we work on our prayer life? You know, what, uh, what do we do with, uh, with prayer? You see, uh, if you ask somebody, where, where do you learn how to pray? You go to school, right, to, to learn how the world works. Maybe uh, you come sometimes to church to praise God, to give Him thanks and praise but where do you go to learn how to pray? If you are in the Fernhound family, if you grew up in Dorothy's family, I'm sure that you would have learned how to pray for her. You know, so family maybe is a place for you too. She used to have this, uh, these prayer notes and she used to pray one hour a day. And uh, she would put a prayer note on her uh, uh, tablet and... and there was a name there. If somebody had cancer, there was a name, let's say Johnny. And if Johnny was healed, then she would cross the name out and give thanks to the Lord. But if Johnny wasn't healed and died, then she would put an arrow and say heaven. And if you grew up in that family, you knew that you pray for people. And you pray constantly. And you pray daily. And that's what I learned too when I grew up. My mother was a prayer warrior. She still prays. Sometimes I feel too much. Every day. Because I remember many times I wanted to go and talk to her, but she was on her knees in prayer. And uh, often, often I remember in our family devotions, it wasn't like every, every night, but when we had family devotions, we used to pray, and I always felt that she's praying too much. You know, it just bored me to death, you know, at some point. But one thing that it was nice, um, and I think that sometimes I, I fell asleep on her prayers, you know, but... One thing that was nice, well, I think the worst thing is to fall asleep on your prayers, right? <laughs> Which I did, you know. So, uh, but one thing that we did as we finished our family devotions was we stopped and at the end, just a cappella in our living room, we prayed this song, Abide With Me. And that it, does, it didn't matter how long it was, it just prepared me for the night. I just went to sleep so sound. Trusting that the Lord is going to be with me through the night. So I'm not sure uh, what was your family tradition. But you can also learn from, from your church. And uh, like you just saw, Ronald just prayed. And we heard a prayer during the, the worship time, right? Kevin was praying. And um, Let me just tell you about my, my church, a little bit where I grew up. Uh, this is the church where I grew up in December I visited. This is... Um, in that church where I grew up, and we now have a different uh, kind of building. It's a newer building, but we used to have uh, these benches, and when I grew up, we had seats like this, chairs like this that we have here. So when I grew up, we used to call the hour of prayer, and every Sunday, even today, if you go in that church, they have an hour of prayer, and it is an hour of prayer. But we were standing, and everyone in the church prayed. We will sing a song, read maybe three, four verses, Let's say, let's say Psalm 1, read half of the psalm, give a short encouragement, and then we'll say, now we start with Jan, and then we go to Ron, and then we go to Daniel, 
And we will just stand up, you know, and we will go one by one praying aloud. <coughs> and then, let's say, when this section is done, we will sit down, sing another song, read a few more verses, and then we will stand up again, and then we will start here with Tony and, and go up to Mary and uh, Jerry and Anita and, and everybody else like that. And then we will do sit down again and go to this section here. Now, maybe you say, well, that's too much and whatever. You know, it's, it, it's where I grew up. That's what, what my tradition was. And remember these benches, they are done, they are built with that knee support. So you can just slide, as you sit on the bench, you can just slide, and suddenly you feel a support for your knees. So you can pray. So now that church, instead of standing when we pray, now they are kneeling. You know, my church there. It's the church where I grew up. But... Um, in Cuba, when I went in Cuba, for example, they have this sort of benches, and Daniel, maybe you remember, this is his home church. They don't have that knee support, but they do have these benches that they can move so they can do other things. But in Cuba, we prayed, like I said, several of us. It was an open season of prayer and one prayer night, and we just uh, were sitting on the bench. Other time, we were standing, especially if it was in the evening after a song or so. So different churches have different traditions. But also in my hometown, I want to talk to you about the church that I served, the last church I was a member of with Felicia. This is the church where she grew up. And it's a church that years ago, it's over 100 years old, but there was a group of people who said in the 19, you know, in the, what, in the 19, maybe 40s or 50s, they, they prayed very hard and they said, Lord, we want you to bless our church. It was a little church, 200 people. And they said, we want you to use us to bless the entire city where we live. There are so many lost people in this city, and they started to pray. And today it's a mega church. It's a big church. And we visited that church too, and we went home. And uh, what happened is in the 70s, the Lord answered their prayer, and there was a prayer movement in the church. And the leadership, everybody else, they were so much into prayer. Every church member prayed at home. They prayed in the church. They prayed for their neighbors, for their friends. They just prayed for the city. To the point that people knew that if you are an unbeliever, and most people in my church were, you know, I grew up in communist Romania. They were non-believers. And they knew that if you go in that church only once, you'll never go out without meeting Christ. So they said, even, in fact, the secret police gave orders that don't go there because it's danger for you. That's how powerful the church became. A place where people came to meet Jesus Christ. And they met Jesus Christ. And every year they had baptism. I still remember adult baptism. You know, there was like conversions, right? People meeting Christ hundreds and hundreds because they were praying. And today, this is how it looks like. That building uh, on the side with a roof, a red roof, is the high school that they have. But also they established a university in town. The university where me and Felicia will study is called the Emmanuel University. And, you know, so indeed the Lord blessed them to influence and to bless the city in which we live. So it's either through the family or through the church or maybe through friends. I'm not sure. But we learn somehow how to pray, hopefully. But this morning, Jesus challenges us. And I, like you, you heard the ladies here talk this morning. They want us to say, revisit your prayer life. What do you do with prayer? Is this something that the Lord wants to tell you? Is there something else that you need to tweak in your prayer life? And Jesus uses this text, and I would like you to um, go with me. It's in Matthew, and uh, we are going to read just three verses. It's Matthew chapter 21. 
And it comes right after uh, the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday. It could be even in the Palm Sunday. As Jesus goes triumphantly in Jerusalem, right? So it's still kind of Passover time, Easter time. He goes in, and this is what he does. Jesus enters the temple, the temple courts, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Well, it's a short text, and therefore I will use uh, almost the text as a, as a title and as a topic. But I will also definitely use other texts in this morning. So, three things that we can see about prayer. You know, first of all, prayer purifies us, you know. This is what Jesus says, you know, to them. I am going to cleanse this temple. Can you see? And there are two cleansing of the temple. One is here, and one is uh, earlier. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 2, Right at the beginning, he is clearing the temple at that point. And he is also clearing the temple at the end of his ministry in what we call the Palm Sunday or the Holy Week. Can you imagine the temple in Jerusalem and the Gentiles' courts? Like Ron said you know, earlier, maybe up to 2 million people being in Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jesus going there, and everybody wants to get in. Why are they there? They are not there just to see friends. They are there to worship God in the temple. And as they try to get in the temple, in, you know, go, go through the gate, they have to pass through the Gentiles' court. And in the Gentiles' court and all over the other courts, there are people with tables, with boots. They are selling animals, goats, sheep, doves. They are changing money. You know, they, there is so much busyness there that it, the place looks like a marketplace. You cannot worship because when you go there, it looks like you step into a market. And in chapter John, in, in John, in chapter two, Jesus uh, takes few cords and he makes a whip. And you see, see here, he, here in this image, he has this whip in his hand. And with the whip, he tries to clean the temple. And that's what the, the, the passage is called: the cleansing of the temple. And many times, you know, our religious life is like that. You know, we need to be cleansed. You know, and if you think of the Palm Sunday, people come from all over the Roman world, right? They can come from far away. They are in Jerusalem, and they have to pay the temple tax. And usually, they, to pay the temple tax, they needed to use the specific temple coins, which is the Tyrian shekels. They were minted in the, the city of Tyre, and they were made of silver. And those were the only ones that they could use in the temple. In fact, Judah, few, four, four days after this, when he betrays Jesus, the priest throws him 30 silver coins, 30 shekels, exactly like this. From the temple treasury. Because everybody had to exchange. But they were there. And some people say that maybe they were kind of. Jacking up their profits. And it was, it was like a business place. It was, they were not bad people. You know, People were in the temple. But they were there to find a market for their goods. Instead of being there. To see God's face. And to help others see God's face. You see, the question is not for us, are you doing God's work? Maybe we are doing God's work. Maybe we are in the worship team, or maybe we are in the, even in the prayer team, or maybe we are in the nursery team, or maybe we are in the outreach team, or maybe we serve in, we, we are ushers and in so many positions. But the question for us is, why and how are we doing it? They were there, and they looked like they are in the right place, in the temple, helping people to worship. And Jesus says, no, 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 get out of my house. 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made out of it a market, a den of thieves and robbers. Why are we doing it? Remember just a few weeks ago, also Ron pointed out that in the Palm Sunday, some Greeks came to Philip, one of the disciples, and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And many churches have this, the pulpit have this saying. On the pulpit, they put it, we want to see Jesus. And that's kind of a, a threatening word for us too, who are preaching or teaching God's word. Because people are not here to see us. Or to see how beautiful our piano is or uh, our building is or how comfy our chairs are. We come to church to see Jesus. So he purifies us. Remember when Solomon built the temple, he dedicated the temple and said, Lord, maybe that when people are going to be in exile, in Babylon, in Assyria, wherever, far away from this temple, Lord Solomon said, if they turn back to you with all their heart, and if they pray to you toward the temple, if they face this temple, if they look at Jerusalem and they say, that's the place where we should be worshiping God, then hear their prayer and hear their plea and uphold their cause. Solomon said basically, if they come back to you, Lord, with repentance and prayer, please hear their prayer. And if you are here and you are not a disciple, I think you can use that simple prayer too. Say, Jesus, I'm far away from you. Maybe I feel like I'm in exile, like these people. But I need to go back to you. So here is my prayer. Lead me back to you. Lead me to you. I want to know you. And this is a morning where, where you can say that. I repent and I come because I want to be part of your people. But this morning we also had a challenge, you know, and Ron showed us the the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Even today, this Wailing Wall is a place where people of all religions, but including Jews and Christians, they go there and pray. And they put their little notes. And this morning, just at the end of the morning, we are going to have a chance. Maybe you saw there are many uh, prayer cards like this, either on your seats or in front of your seats. And we are going to be challenged to fill this out. And that's what people do at the Wailing Wall. They go there and they put the, those praying notes. And sometimes they even write a prayer note to God. So God purifies us. If we come to God as Christians, we also have to remember that other, peop other people pray too. If you remember the Muslims, they have a rug. And they took the idea from, I think, Moses, I mean from uh, Solomon and said, no, we have to face, but instead of the temple in Jerusalem, they face Mecca. You know, there is there a great uh, mosque in Mecca. And they even have a compass that they show. It's, it's you know, like maybe 1.30 the hour. You know? So you look at the north, and then you take 1.30, and therefore you face Mecca, and you know that you are in the right, right directions. And they pray, and there in Mecca they have this kind of what we call almost like a holy of holies for us. And it looks like a temple inside. And uh, they worship there, and all of them face that. Now, can you imagine in the temple of Jerusalem being so many people like in Pentecost, and here instead of praying, having all of those tables and animals and like a market? Maybe that gives you the image of why Jesus was so much upset, you know, said, you have made, instead of letting people worship, you know, at my temple, you have made it a place of, of a market. And if you look, for, this is for yesterday, if you look for the hours, they pray five times, the Muslims. And this is five times, you take the sunrise out, and these are the times. And every day kind of changes, it can change. But um, about half of the Muslim population in the world, they do keep uh, the prayers five times a day. One before the sunrise, one 
one uh, af- you know, around noon, one in the afternoon, and uh, before sunrise and then before they go to bed. So there are different times, you know, and they, they can publish that or you can find that. You can even have an app on your phone and tell you exactly when to pray. But other religions are praying. And uh, so for us, for us, what God wants from us is to purify us. You know, he purifies our, when we pray, when the church of God prays, he purifies us. He purifies our worship. And maybe the challenge is for us, are we, are we here at Hillside asking God to make us a house of prayer for all nations? You see, Matthew is not writing that, but all of the other evangelists, they say, you have, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. What are we doing here? You know, this past week somebody came to us and said, you know, she was a Korean, said, can, can we use your space also for our worship? And she said, I, I will pray for your church too. God will bless you too because I all came here every day and pray if you let me pray here. And then maybe another question is, do we want people to meet Jesus when we gather together? What's our purpose? Is there anything else than, than meeting Jesus? When you leave from here, what do you want to know? And maybe the greatest challenge for us is how do we do that, right? How do we make sure that everybody leaves here knowing that they met Jesus? That there's no other desire for us. So when we pray, we become like the temple in Jerusalem where it's cleansed. It's a place where people come and say, sir, we want to see Jesus. And they do see Jesus. Second, when we pray, when the church prays, God hears us. You see, there are several times in the Bible, and I will just give you a few examples. When God uses prayer, and this was this disciple Ananias in the book of Acts. And God tells him in a vision, comes to him and says, Ananias, would you go to this uh, person in this street? And uh, uh, his name is Saul, and he was born in Tarsus. Um, Saul of Tarsus, people tell, just go to him. And Ananias says, wow, Saul of Tarsus, that a persecutor, that just, he just killed Stephanus, and I'm not, I'm not willing to go there. He's a dangerous person. And then this is what God says to him. You know, don't worry. Don't worry about him. Don't be afraid because he is praying. He is not just the person that you thought of. There's no, there's no point of being afraid of him because he's on his knees. And when he's on his knees, and when Paul was on his knees, that then God said, I'm going to use him. Paul is on his knees, and Ananias goes there and teaches Paul. And Paul was even blinded, blind when Ananias found him. Then another example, maybe you remember, is Peter. And Peter also has a vision in the book of Acts. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, I want you to go to this guy. I know he's kind of not a Jew. He's a Roman, and he's also a captain, a centurion. And I want you to go and in, in his house, go and talk to him and see what, uh, what, you, we, what he will say to you. And, and Peter says, no, I'm not going to. Lord, I'm not going to. And then the Lord says, yes, you will, because I have a message for him. Your prayers, Cornelius have brought you to God's attention. And then Peter understands that even the Gentiles are welcomed into God's kingdom. And he goes, and is maybe the first, the first Roman, the first non-Jews people that was converted to the church at that time. And that's how Peter understands God's call. When somebody prays, and when he prays, the church grows. And here in this image, he is baptizing Cornelius. And finally, maybe um, you think, how is God hearing us? You know, there was a lady... In the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel. And she was barren, no kids. And she prayed so much and so desperately. She went every day uh, in the tabernacle to pray to have a child. 
And she was there in the tabernacle, and she was praying so desperately that the priest Eli said, Woman, what are you doing? And she, she looked like she was drunk. She looked like she was drunk. How do you pray to look like drunk only if you are desperate? Then you know. But she didn't care. And the Lord answered her, and this is what she told to the priest Eli. She said, sorry, this is Hezekiah, yeah. It's another story. She'll come later on. Hezekiah, Hezekiah, it was a mix in my slides. But Hezekiah, Hezekiah heard, Hezekiah was a king, and he heard the Lord coming to him through Nathan. And Nathan said, Hezekiah, your days are done. You have been king, but you will die. Make your, put your house in order because you will die soon. And the moment Hezekiah hears that, he immediately switches in his bed. He's not even getting out of his bed. Towards the wall and facing the wall, he prays to God and asks God for mercy. And God blesses him. And Nathan is not even outside the palace. He's in the court and he comes back and he says, The Lord says this to you, Hezekiah. I have heard your prayer. You just prayed in your bed. And have sensed your tears. And have seen your tears. And I will heal you. And I will add 15 years to your life. If you think what is God trying to do with us. Maybe even this one should be the only reason. That we will revisit our prayer life. What if we can live 15 years right. Another lease on our life. A simple prayer in his bed. So God hears us. But he also blesses us. There are so many ways in which. The prayer blesses us. When the church prays, God is blessing us. And prayer is, I will say, is the detox for our soul. There's, there's this verse that Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's no other place where we can find that rest. You know that saying, it says, garbage in and garbage out. There's so much garbage that comes in our soul. And the Lord says, come to me. I can take care of it. It's in your mind. It's in your feelings. It's in your soul. It's in your behavior. There's nothing that we can do but just come to him. And then in Psalm 68, he says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. If you want to pour out your heart to somebody, and I, my, my tendency is to go to people and pour out my heart. And, um, and why would I go to somebody who is as confused as me, Right? Why do I put my hope in somebody that is just as broken as I am? The Lord says, pour out your hearts to me. And this is the story of Hannah. She has been pouring out her heart in the temple, right? And then she's explained to Eli. She says, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. That's what I was here. That's what I looked like a drunk. Because I prayed out of my anguish and grief. It wasn't easy for me. So God blesses us. When the church prays, God blesses us and gives us a way to detox ourselves. Secondly, we can expect when we pray the impossible. That's why we pray. If we can do a thing, if you can just go and, and feed yourself, then why pray to God to give you food, right? Just go into the fridge, open, and, and take it. Some things yet are beyond our abilities. There are some things that we cannot fix by doing it, you know. It doesn't matter how strong we are. It doesn't matter how strong we are. And they can be even things of the soul. What do you do with guilt, you know? What do you do with guilt? There's no pill for you. You can go to Pyrus. You can go to, to Spectrum. You can go to any counseling you want. You can go to school to learn how to handle. But what do you do with guilt? 
What do you do when the doctor comes to you and says, you have to move into hospice care because in two months you will die? Do you think that is anything humanly possible to do? And that's the time when you have to come to God and expect him to give you the peace that is beyond all understanding. What do you do when you receive the divorce papers? Do you think you can take a pill and make you feel better and repair the relationship? What do you do when somebody hates you? And will not even talk to you to fix that relationship. There's no pill for that. There's no treatment for that. And God says, come to me, come to me. On our knees, on our knees. When we go to God on our knees, then we acknowledge that there is a power higher than us. That there is a solution that is, you know, what's interesting. Even the disciples, they had to learn the hard way this. They were trying to cast out a demon and they couldn't. And then Jesus comes to them and, and, and they say, why we were not able? They worked hard. And he says these words, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind of demons, he says, come out only by prayer and fasting. Only by prayer. You know, the disciples learned a lot from Jesus. He saw how he took out the demon, how he, who he exercised people, and how he did miracles. They never say to Jesus, Jesus, can you teach us how to have power over demons? Or Jesus, can you teach me how to take care of the lepers or give sight to somebody? Do you know what they say? The only thing that they say, teach us, is teach us how to pray. Because they see that in Jesus' life, when he was about to do a miraculous thing, a big thing, or make a big decision, he always either prayed all night, or woke up in the morning and went on a mountainside or a side on, on, on in a place where he could pray in solitude by himself. They saw the power between prayer and a, a winning, a, victory, a victorious life. And they say, teach us how to pray because everything else then will fall into place. So we expect the impossible and then... We expect guidance. This is the messenger translation. It's such a beautiful translation of uh, Proverbs 3. It says, trust to God from the bottom of your heart. If you don't pray, how are you going to, to trust God? How are you, don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God and run from evil. I like that Psalm 3, uh, verse 5 to 7, was also, I, I found out, for President's Ford favorite verse. And every night before they go to bed as a family, they will read these verses. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. But also, ignoring God's guidance is very painful. Remember Jonah? He ignored God's guidance, and he just went into right, ahead, right straight into a storm, and then into a whale's tummy, Right? It's important, I think, even to think that prayer gives us the power to forgive and to be healed. This is what God calls us to do in Second Chronicles. He says, if my people, that is, if hillside people, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then turn from their wicked ways, if they, if they will turn, and, and then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. Our land is not a happy land right now. There are so many divisions, so many fractions, so many. We are pulled apart as a country. 
as a land. And Jesus says, if my people, and that includes you and me, you can go 